we can't stay here. I, I love preaching in a series, but I have to admit to you, I am actually particularly into this series. There's just something about it that speaks to, to my heart. Um, we can't stay here. It's intriguing. I'm confused a little bit by it too. Like, what, what does this mean? The reality is this. When you're looking at your life and you're looking at a new year, for instance, you imagine some things that you'd like to see come to pass. Most people, if they're making resolutions, the majority of people make resolutions about? Wait. And so we can't stay here. In other words, it's a way of saying, I can't stay looking, acting, behaving the way I am. I, there's another place that I need to be. I can't stay here. And so there is this tension in our church right now that I'm creating for you where, where we should understand something. We should wrestle with something. That God wants you to grow. He wants our church to grow. In fact, anything that is alive, the normative process for anything that is living is that it would grow. It would grow. And oftentimes we can pride ourselves, can't we? We've done this. People in, the, in this church have done this. I like the church the way it is. It's my church. But it's actually not your church. It's God's church. And God has destined his church. That's you individually and us collectively. We don't have to do a whole lot to just naturally grow stronger, grow bigger, grow healthier. If we would just get out of the way and recognize that God is inviting us on a journey and that journey does not include staying put, but packing our bags like the father of faith, Abraham, and going on a little bit of a faith trip. I'm ready for that this year. It's going to come with lots of challenges. I recognize that. We cleaned out our garage this week. It was like, the, it was a miracle. <laughs> if you've ever planted a church before, um, your garage looks like the third ring of hell, okay? And it was just, there was just stuff everywhere in it. And we looked at our calendar before the year started and said, this is the day we're doing this. Because it was just, every time I opened the door, I just got discouraged. I would just look at it and then I would, I'd just shut it and walk away. I'd go out the front door to get to the car so I didn't even have to walk through the garage. It's just that discouraging. Well, it's taken care of. But I want you to hear something. A lot of times things get messier before they get more clean. And so as we're pulling stuff together and getting it out of the way, our yard, I looked like... It didn't look good, Okay. You know, when you imagine, when people use the term redneck, no insult to anybody here if you would deem yourself that, but it kind of had that, I mean, I had just bikes and garbage and multiple, I mean, just junk everywhere. It got messier before it got cleaner. And oftentimes that happens as you get, as you accept the reality that God is going to move you, there's going to be a measure of discomfort there might be a measure of pain there might be a measure of unfamiliarity as God moves us from one place to another you with me yeah. 
you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. Don't put it on the screen yet, but we're going to be talking about something that's going to set the stage for us. Matthew 13, 31 through 32. If you've got a phone, uh, you can download the Bible with version. follow along, or, or uh, read on the screens behind me. I read a statistic this week that I found really interesting. Children. Ask, yeah, I know, it was an amazing statistic. Children ask an amount of questions every single day. Anybody know what that number is? It feels like a million, doesn't it? On average, a child asks every child, mind you, 125 questions a day. Probing questions, okay? As in like, how does this work kind of a question? Does the world work this way kind of a question? And if you're wondering why parents are exhausted all the time, it, the amount of question answering that happens in our house, and we only have two right now that are really asking, but it just, it's just one after the other. But it's how children grow. Part of their growth process is by, is by feeling it out and asking Adults, on the other hand, ask a certain amount of questions a day. Six, on average, <laughs> is how many questions an adult asks a day. A probing question. And so, hear me on this, because Jesus calls us to have faith like a child, okay? To faith like a child, to, to see the world the way a child sees the world, and that's with, with faith. But faith isn't without asking questions, Faith and asking questions oftentimes go hand in hand. But somewhere in between being a child and adult, we lose about 119 questions. And consequently, you know what we stop doing? We stop growing. We stop growing. And so my invitation to you this morning is to begin to ask yourself and God some questions. I'm going to help you with what that question might be today. And I'm going to give you some more in the weeks to come. Ready? Matthew 13. Let's do this. Jesus told them another parable. Speaking to the crowds at this point. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now, if you're into farming and you know how the size of seeds, kudos to you. I, I meant to actually bring one with me. I was answering one of those 125 questions, and it just got me tired, and I forgot it. If you've seen a mustard seed, you can put scores of them on the tip of your finger you can do if i had one up here you wouldn't even see it it's that small and jesus is saying that the kingdom of god it's like this mustard seed it's really small and yet when you take that tiny little thing and you plant it give it a little water a little nourishment that thing will break through that soil and it will grow, and a mustard seed plant grows to be about nine feet-ish tall. Has the, a wingspan of, of, the, of its stem, etc., and branches of about six feet. So much so that it provides a little shade. So much so that a bird passes by and says to itself, 
whew, I think I could take a, a break in that thing's branches. And yet it started out as this little tiny thing. That's how, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like. This church, P.S., is a part of God's kingdom. If you remember, if you were here for the early days, it started out with a little bit of a speck of some people in my living room. I think our first day had six to seven people. That includes my family. Okay? All right? You could have just, we could have been lost in the wind. But we planted that thing and what's been growing and what's been growing and what's been growing is, is, is a tree that's breaking through the soil. Are we a nine foot tall mustard seed tree with six foot wings? No, we're not. But understand that the normative process for us as a church and you as a believer is that you would be growing. And don't despise the days of small beginnings. Don't despise God doing something small in your life. Because that small thing with a little faith and a little patience just might be turning into a tree that provides shade and rest to the rest of the world. With me on this. Your big idea for this morning, when we talk about leaving behind, and we really want to define it today, what do you need to actually leave behind? Let me help you. We need to leave behind small thinking. It plagues us as Christians. It plagues you as a believer, and if we're not careful, it will plague this church. We must leave behind small thinking because God does not want us to stay a mustard seed. That isn't great stewardship with what he's given us. Does that make sense this morning? That means that there are some new branches that are going to be growing. That means there are more birds that will be coming to perch in those branches to find rest. That means there might be some additional soil that needs to get put, on, put down or some additional water that gets placed or, or poured or, or maybe a transplant here or there or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if we settle into thinking, well, this tiny little thing, boy, I like it. feels so good. I can, I can like put a lot in my hand here and, you know, it's just this nice, cute little seed doesn't require a whole lot of work. But God has more for you and me and this church than that. We must leave behind small thinking. We must. Here's how we see God doing this mustard seed moment in the New Testament. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, popularly called the Great Commission, popularly acted upon, we, we could call it the great omission because most of us don't do this. But the process that God really truly put in place for that mustard seed becoming a tree is this right here. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Feel the impact of that, church. God has given us an assignment as his, the people in his kingdom to go and to make disciples. Go and make disciples. Many of us have been walking with Jesus for some time and don't really know what that means or where that actually begins. And it's Jesus is getting ready to leave earth in a puffy cloud. Literally. The next verse is him rising back up into heaven. And he's gone for good until he returns. Now, if you are saying goodbye to someone, this was your moment. You'd think that your last words before you return were probably going to be pretty important. They're going to have some, some weight to it. And of everything Jesus says before he returns, he looks at him and says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I will always be with you. See ya. <laughs> and away he goes. There is some weight to this. We've got to put behind, leave behind small thinking and truly lay hold of what it means to make disciples and to change this world. In case you're thinking, well, that's one passage in Scripture where Jesus says that. Well, let me help you with another one. Jesus says in Acts 1, 8 and 9, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. That had to have been pretty amazing to see. Jesus says you're going to have power and that power is going to allow you to do this. You will be my witnesses. You will make disciples and you should do it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You may not understand the region at the time, but Jerusalem was the city that they were in. Samaria and Judea was the region that they were in. The ends of the earth, well, the ends of the earth. And so when we look at our church, you know what we should do? We should look at it the way Jesus looks at it. We should understand the mandate that he gave all of humanity and own that thing. Because God hasn't asked us just to reach this room. He's asked us to reach this city. But wait, in case you stall out there, he hasn't actually asked us just to reach this city. He's asked us to reach this region. But he hasn't asked us actually to just reach this region. He's asked us to impact and change the world. Every church, every believer, leave behind small thinking and lay hold of the fact that God has called you to change the world. You are a world changer and you are a part of a world changing church.
And I am saying that, yes, in truth and also in faith. Because there's more that God has in store for us. We must put behind small thinking. Some of you heard this story before. The story of two fishermen. And if anybody here like to fish? A couple? A couple hands? Oh, nice. More than I anticipated. Okay. Like you. I like it. So two guys go fishing. You know, they're, they're casting out in the lake. They got their spot. And they're both beginning to catch fish. And, and the, the one fisherman has, you know, an average catch. But he's watching his friend. And his friend, every time he catches a fish, he's measuring that fish. And if it's within his parameters, he puts it in his little, his little cooler, his little thing that, that he catches his fish in. I don't fish a whole lot, so I'm not even sure what you'd, you'd put it in. A live well. Great. So that's where he's putting these fish. But, but instead of, instead of uh, keeping the big fish, every time he'd catch that catch, the big one, he actually would he'd measure it and then he'd get disappointed. And he'd throw the fish back. And finally, his friend looked at him and said, why are you doing that? And the guy's literally reeling in the biggest catch of the day. He says, hold on a second. And he's measuring it. And of course, it's, it's, it's beyond his little measuring stick. And he throws the fish back. And the friend looks at him and says, man, this is what, you're, this is what guys like us dream of, a fish that big. Why are you throwing it back and keeping this one? And he looks at him and he says, well, man, the problem is it's just too big for my frying pan. Okay? Cheesy? Yes, it is. But track with me here. Because many of us have our little frying pan, and God is moving, He's speaking, He's giving you dreams, He's giving you passions, He's giving you visions, He's giving you things that you want to do. And more often times than not, we're throwing it right back into the lake because we don't feel like we've got the pan to really get the job done. And we just, you know what, my, my frying pan is just too small, so I'll throw it on back. Rather than having half a brain and saying, I need a new frying pan. Or let me call my friends and we'll chop this thing up and we'll get this thing going and you can have a little and I can have a little and we'll get this thing fried up and eaten. I fish a lot. Yeah. You guys with me this morning? Don't get stuck with small thinking and don't get stuck with a small frying pan. Swap that thing out. And get a bigger one that will contain what God is asking you to do in this season. (laughs) No one's going to remember anything except the frying pan. That, and I got a little groove on while I was frying it up. You liked it. You liked it. Don't hate. Don't hate on it. So here's how it works. And then I'm going to get real specific as to what we're as a church doing. And where we as a church are going. And that means where we as a church are leaving. That's right. Acts 2, 38, 41 through 41. Peter has been filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands up in front of a crowd at Pentecost and he preaches. And, I mean, arguably the greatest sermon ever preached. 
And he gets to the end of it and all these people are cut to the heart and they say to him, what must we do to be saved? And he says right here in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and with many other words he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Three followed by three zeros, okay? 3,000. They went from having a, a church of our size of people, wasn't just a 12 at this point, to instantly... 3,000. Now, I can experience some ministry stress at times. That would have been unbelievable. You just grew to 3,000. But understand something unique that's happening here. Because all of these people, many of them, if you remember, speak different languages. Because they're there and Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so 3,000 people are giving their life to Jesus, many of which do not live in Jerusalem. And so what happens is they're filled with the Holy Spirit, is they're taking a little Matthew 28 with them, and they're going back to their city. And disciples and new converts are being made. And the church, as we currently know it, is being birthed. And pastors and elders and deacons are being raised up. And Paul's traveling around and he's teaching and he's instructing and he's laying hands on people. And the church all over the place is becoming alive. And with all of this electricity, with all of this power, you'd think, you know what, you know what we should do? Well, let's, let's have a hostile takeover. Let's, let's take Jerusalem over. Let's take Rome over and make it the, the official religion of the empire. And we'll force people to bow their knee to Jesus and submit to him. No, they don't do that. Maybe they just have an endless night of worship and praise in the fields. And everyone will come and, and, and just fall under the power of the Holy Spirit and become a Christian. No, they don't do that either. They don't just have hours and hours of preaching on end. Nope, they don't do that either. Now, all of those things exist on some level, but here's what happens. It says they devoted themselves. This is right after. This is verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, gave to anyone who had need. Each day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Deep breath. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day. Their little 3,000 is, I mean, it's just, it's becoming an exponential movement. 
This is how the early church got established. If you want some church history, you've got it. In other words, let's, let's bring this up into 2016. They went to church together, and they had small groups in each other's homes. They ate food, got into the Bible, prayed for one another, and they went to the temple together. There's not a whole lot more than I'm seeing in here. Yes, they have sacrifice. Yes, they love one another. Yes, they laid their lives down for one another. But there isn't this magical thing that we oftentimes try to make in church planning, church growth, or even your personal growth. It's always the simple things that we decide to overlook that become your Achilles heel. Community and relationships where they loved one another, yet they weren't just loving one another to the exclusion of their city. They loved one another and loved everyone else with a purpose. And we see people coming to the temple, Gentiles, mind you. These are pagans, people who worship other religions, and they're getting literally tore up from the floor up, (laughs) giving their life to Jesus, following him. And the church is exploding. The ministry that we're a part of is called Every Nation. And so we are very passionate about church planning, campus ministry, and world missions. And a dear friend of mine, a pastor, his son was in our campus ministry when I, when I was a campus pastor in, in, at Lipscomb University, uh, was on a mission trip to Manila. His name is Steve Merle. You see some of the books here. You know, he's written some books we've had here at, the, at our guest services But I want you to understand this because we're leaving behind small thinking. Went on a mission trip to Manila with a team of people. And without getting into all the details, people were starting to, you know, become Christians. People were giving their life to Jesus. And lo and behold, there was a church plant and there was nobody there to lead it. And so Steve decided to stay. Steve and his wife, Deborah. They're in Manila in the Philippines. And so they're preaching and they're preaching. And if you've ever tried to imagine somebody that is leading a church but is kind of introverted, not Mr. Charismatic, doesn't describe himself as the most gifted communicator, that's Steve. And he's leading this church, this church plant in Manila. And the thing that they get back to time and time and time again is reaching the loss and equipping people to start and lead life groups. Equipping people to to literally just open the Bible, pray together, and do it in each other's homes. And their church, uh, and I'll explain why I'm sharing this with you in a minute, and grew to about 3,000 in a couple years. And then because they really wanted to get fancy, they didn't change anything. They just kept doing what they were doing and doing it well. And our church, our Every Nation Church in the Philippines grew to 50,000 people, 50,000. And they raised up people just like you to go start more campuses and more churches. And they have been an unbelievable force in Asia, the Middle East, in Europe, now also the United States. And their church now has grown to over 100,000 people.
people. Steve Merle is considered the leading expert on discipleship in Christendom right now. If you Google it, his name pops right up. He's in our ministry. You'll probably have him come in. We'll, we'll see him come and preach to us one day. And you will think to yourself, this guy leads a church of over 100,000 people. And you know how it was done? By faithfully preaching the gospel and by teaching other people to be ministers in their home. They invited people. They invited their neighbors. They invited their friends. They invited the co-workers. They opened the Bible, got into the Bible together, prayed for one another, broke bread for one another, loved one another, and people, surprise, gave their life to Jesus. So much so that over 100,000 people have done so. Is this the United States? No, it's not. Are we trying to be the church in the Philippines? Absolutely not. But we've got to leave behind small thinking. If we're thinking that we should be a church of 100, that isn't accurate. Because the mustard seed is growing to be larger and bigger. And we should think and begin to operate and begin to move and feel called into leadership. Of a church that will reach thousands. And the way we're going to do it is by faithfully proclaiming who Jesus is, by preaching the word, by worshiping Jesus Christ, and by teaching and equipping you to be ministers of the gospel. And so, have you been in a life group? That's amazing. Which, by the way, we have sign-ups available for you today. See how I work that in there? Mm -hmm. Have you been in one, though? Have you been a part of one for a year in our church? Guess what? You should be thinking. No longer should I just come and be a part of one. I should be thinking about how to actually start my own. Because at some point, you've got to think beyond just coming and getting, but you've got to start doing the opposite now. Yes, you give, but you give, you, you, you receive as you're giving. Is this making sense this morning? Yes. We're going to be unpacking more of this. So don't, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh my gosh, is Pastor Andy asking me to lead a life group? Yes and no. The answer is yes and no, which sounds confusing. Some of you need to. Some of you do. A lot of you do. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see people come to faith because of it. Because you leave behind thinking this way and you get rid of that little tiny frying pan and you pick up one that actually works. And one that actually has room to cook what needs to be cooked. Jason, Amy, why don't you come up here for a second? waiting for the new year to talk about this and we're not getting into all the details of it this morning but many of you know Pastor Jason uh, many of you know Amy Pastor Amy as well 
And I'm calling them pastor because they've been pastors. They are pastors. They've been doing so with our Every Nation uh, church plants in Australia. Remember the city that you guys came from? Sydney. From Sydney. Sorry. I've asked them literally like a billion times. <laughs> Sad, I know. Sorry. Sydney, Australia. And we started Skyping about, what, a year and a half ago? A year ago? A year ago? So sitting on my couch, we got connected through our Every Nation family because they'd been there 10 years. And we're thinking, you know what? It's about time for us to, to move back to the United States. If we're going to make the move, now's probably the time to do it. And so we began to kind of feel this out. And you know what? Is this a, would this be an awesome fit? You know, in Atlanta, and we just cracking jokes on, on FaceTime and Skyping. And we're talking and praying and talking and praying. And lo and behold, they really felt peace and release about moving from Australia, empowering the church uh, with the team there and coming here. But not just to simply be here. You've noticed that our church has been quadrupling and exponentially growing in staff and interns. That's an amazing thing. But with that comes a stewardship and a responsibility. And you need to understand that Jason and Amy are, are, are bringing a, a wealth of, of knowledge to service teams and experience, and they're tightening things up and, and making things better. But the sole purpose, the ultimate purpose for which they are here is for us to start another one of these in another part of the city. Because there are more people that need to hear the gospel. There are more disciples that need to be made. There are more disciples that need to be taught how to make more disciples. And you know what will happen as we start another campus on another part of Atlanta? Is it won't be long before we put our heads together and start thinking, how do we start another one? Who is in our midst that needs to feel the call to go, to leave it behind and start another campus? And as we do this, as we multiply not just in people, not just in labor, not just in laborers, but in churches, you will see a church that reaches Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You will be challenged here to lead and to step out. And if it won't challenge you, it won't change you. If you want to be changed, if you want to leave something behind, then get ready to experience challenge as you do it. But God has called us, he's called this amazing couple to lead something great, for us to lead it together. And it starts what's already started. If you're going to ask all the details of, well, where's it going to be and what time? We don't have any of that. We're not even close to any of that yet. But understand, this we're going to do this. And when I say we are going to do this, I mean we are going to do this. Not our team, not our staff. We are. That means we get to make disciples in our kids' ministry. That means we're making disciples of our children. We're making disciples of our teachers. We're making disciples of people who know how to make disciples and can lead life groups and pour into their neighbors. And we're going to see people that we haven't even met, that had nothing to do with.
coming, getting right, and getting baptized. I won't even be doing the baptizing. It will be you. But that kind of culture starts and begins as people say, yes, I'll leave this behind. And although I might be a little scared, I'm going to lay hold of this one.